the nausea, the pain. I don't have a day without pain, joint pain, muscle pain, mysterious pains that, that feel like somebody's giving me an electric shock or poking me with a needle at least 12 hours a day in bed. The insurance subjected you twice to treatment that pretty much everybody in the ME community knows is contraindicated. It's going to make you sicker and lo and behold, it made you sicker. It did, yeah. I'm not even back to, to the baseline I had last June before all the treatment started uh, with the insurance company, the occupational therapy. But now I'm, I'm, I'm worse off. I'm worried about what your insurance company is going to do. What happens if they come back to you and say, Wade, I've got to do this uh, graded exercise therapy again? I'm going to suggest to them that I will seek legal action and have them charged with aggravated assault. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. Back when I was an avid triathlete and spent my spare time swimming, biking, and running, I used to say all the time, exercise may not be a cure-all, but it's a help-all. Boy, did I get that wrong. But what did I know? I was just a slow-twitch triathlon geek. But one would think that disability insurers and occupational therapists would know about the disease that is the exception that proves the rule. They should know that for people sick with the neuroimmune disease myalgic encephalomyelitis, aka ME, that exercise makes them sicker and more disabled. So why did Wade Walters, disability insurer, subject him to contraindicated exercise therapy, not once but twice, that has caused Wade to be permanently sicker with an even lower quality of life? And what is to stop the insurer from forcing Wade to undergo more of this harmful treatment? When corporate insurers demand a so-called therapy that manifests as harm to already sick patients, when does the government step in to protect its vulnerable citizens? 
You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. If you need the support of an experienced counselor around medical error or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Wade Walters and a note of caution that Wade's experience with the healthcare system may be a trigger for some. So Wade, uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, I was born in central Alberta uh, into a big family. I mean, it was, you know, when I, when I hear about other people's families, our family was actually very, very uh, normal. Well, maybe above normal because, uh, I don't know, I just had a really good childhood. So how many kids in your family? Uh, including me, six. And where were you in birth order? I'm the, the tail end. Okay. The, la- the end of the line. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so growing up in mid-Alberta in a town in the countryside? Uh, in a very small town, uh, a little, little tiny town um, just south of Edmonton. Okay. And what did your parents do? Uh, my, as most mothers uh, of the era, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Six and, kids. Yeah, it's a lot of work, really. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more than a full-time job. Uh, but my dad, he worked for a, uh, an oil and gas company. Uh, he was uh, like a tanker, like he drove the big tanker trucks. Mm-hmm. Well, after graduating from high school, I, uh, I, I went to work. Well, I went to work right away, um, working locally uh, at the time, uh, a couple of different jobs, finally got into the sporting goods industry uh, locally. And then uh, from that, I moved to Vancouver. Yeah. And so we're chatting about your healthcare experiences. So when yeah. did your health start to become an issue? You know, it was really when I look back on it with a critical eye, I would say that probably, you know, 2004 or 2005, maybe, I, I started to realize, I started to, to say to my doctor, um, you know, I'm tired. Now, it wasn't because I was overweight. It wasn't because I was inactive. You know, I was... I was tired and I, I, you know, I'd mention it to him and he'd do some tests and, uh, you know, he says, oh, well, your, your testosterone is low. So let's get you on, on replacement therapy. Okay. Well, that's fine. And that sort of helped to be, you know, it brought my, my levels back up and, and, uh, you know, but I was still, that I would still complain that, you know, it's, I'm still getting tired, you know, it seems abnormally. And, uh, and another time, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, low iron. So we fixed that. Still complaining. And, and then he had me do 
an oximetry test, which just recording oxygen levels in the blood at night. And uh, that warranted further study. And I went and had a, a sleep study done. And that indicated moderate sleep apnea. So I got a machine. And one of the things I remember, after I got the machine and you try it for a month or something like that, and I, I went in to see the doctor and I said, you know, gee, I was really expecting a lot more from this. If, if this is the problem with my fatigue. Uh, I said, because I, I, I have friends that went on CPAP, you know, treatment. And for them, it was like completely like night and day changed their life completely. They had all the energy that they, they wanted. And for me, it was just like, yeah, it's a bit better, but not much. And it's funny because the, the doctor never recorded that statement in his notes. He recorded that it was working fine. You know, so, um, but I had a lot of other tests done as well. I had, um, uh, I think, I don't know what it's called, a cardiopulmonary stress test. Had that done. EKGs, ultrasounds. I had all kinds of stuff done. Um, the ultrasound was for pain. I had such severe pain in my lower back. I thought I was, I thought I had cancer or something it was just it wouldn't go away yeah and they couldn't find anything so how long was this going on for before you got an a correct diagnosis <laughs> it was going on for uh i mean it got progressively worse probably about i want to say 2015 or 2016 so that's you know 11, 12 years later, uh, I'm still having the problem. It's getting worse. And uh, finally got my diagnosis in June of 2018. And what was that diagnosis? Uh, that diagnosis was finally... Uh, Chronic fatigue syndrome? Yep. Also known as myalgic encephalomyelitis or Correct. ME? Correct. Yes. And it, and it was after left my existing doctor. He was, uh, what I realized was that he was, he was doing the same tests over and over again and expecting something different, but they, they never changed. And so finally I, I just decided enough was enough, particularly when he, he was going to send me to a psychiatrist some some sort of psychiatrist and uh, I just said well I, I know it's not that so um, <laughs> so that's when I left and, and went to a walk-in clinic and saw multiple doctors one of the things I requested from my previous GP was that I wanted to see an internist to you know, for him to do tests and do an evaluation to see if there was anything internal going on. And that never happened. So when I went to the walk-in clinic after seeing a number of, of doctors there, um, I got a, uh, a referral to an internist. 
and uh, finally got to see them. But, and I think it was just, it was probably a month after I saw the internist that I got the diagnosis. And so what was it like to get that particular diagnosis? What did you know about ME before that? Nothing. Nothing really. Know anything about it? When he said myalgic encephalomyelitis, I mean, it probably took me a, a month just to remember how to pronounce it. And uh, that's when I, I started doing research, but I was pretty tired. And so I didn't really understand much of it. It was, you know, all the technical information and stuff like that. So it took me quite a while to really understand it. And then, and then it took me a long time to, to accept that, yes, this is, this is what I have. What was the challenge in accepting that you had ME? I think, a, you know, a couple of things that I lived an act, active life. I ate well. I did things in moderation. And I just, you know, I just go, well, why, why would it, why would it affect me? And, and there, you know, like there's gotta be something else. I mean, and everything else uh, that that's ever happened to me, I, you know, I've healed and I've come out of it, but this, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about. And so I, it was the, the hope that, you know, that maybe this, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it was something else. Right. Something treatable. Yeah. Something, yeah. Something that, uh, yeah, you could tell me to do this and, and I would do it and, and uh, yeah, get better. And just for the folks who are listening, uh, we should uh, sort of parse the difference between chronic fatigue syndrome, which is also known as ME, and chronic fatigue, which just is a symptom of many different illnesses. People who have recovering from cancer will experience chronic fatigue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So myalgic encephalomyelitis inclu includes so much more than just the fatigue. Yeah. So what were your other symptoms? How did this doctor figure it out? The doctor, when I, I told him all the uh, tests that I'd had done, the tests that he did, uh, he, he had a number of other patients that he'd seen with ME. And so, uh, he was he was pretty quick to pick up on it. My reaction is always, you know, I just yeah, I'm tired, okay, and it's and, and I'll rest and I'll be better. Except that, you know, the farther I got into it, there wasn't enough hours in a day to rest in order to go to work and wake up refreshed the next day. Okay, so tell me about that part of it. So you're working for 12, 14 years or something and getting progressively sicker. And how are you managing to work during that time? I, I started working in the financial industry in 1992. I was licensed as a, a certified financial planner in 1994. So I've got a, a long 
history and a lot of knowledge, you know, prior knowledge that I can draw from. So I'm not, not having to learn a lot as I go. It's more systematic for me, or it was more systematic for me. And because of that, it was, it was not too bad. But as soon as new things started rolling in, it got progressively worse. And when I see new things, it was it was more with regards to the organization I was working with at the time. Uh, they were going through a lot of changes, and changes mean that you have to uh, learn new ways of doing things, new procedures, do new everything. So it sounds like you're having some cognitive challenges. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really what's spurred me on was that probably in the last year I was at work, uh, I was, I was really struggling cognitively. Um, I would have to double and triple check the work that I was doing. I would uh, even typing, uh, which I've been doing since high school, was becoming challenging. Like it wasn't automatic anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't just type. I would have to think about typing. The actual, you know, like you got to press this finger and you got to press that finger. And even, there were even times when I would say, okay, I know how to spell this word or whatever. And I know what it takes. I've already typed it two times and made a mistake both times. And even on the third time, trying to think about it still made a mistake. You know, it was things like that that I went, okay, this is, this is not right. If I, if I start making mistakes on, with the numbers and things like that, it's very easy to do. Uh, transposing numbers, then everything doesn't work. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's incorrect. So work was getting more challenging in yep. two ways, both there was changes going on within the organization and you were having these um, more increasingly difficult cognitive challenges. Yes. I would come into, into work exhausted and, and try and figure out um, how I was going to make it through the day in terms of meeting my commitments. Um, that was, it, was, it was very difficult. So at what point did it become too difficult? That would have been in August of 2018. I just couldn't take it anymore. I was just, I was so exhausted. Um, I couldn't get straight answers for some issues out of my employer. And, uh, and, and that was it. I just, I, I said to my doctor, I just, I just said, I, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's too risky. So you've got the physical uh, intense fatigue, the cognitive impairment. What are some of the other symptoms you're experiencing? Uh, that that pain that was in my lower back was was still there. It was it was so intense at times that I I couldn't even sleep. Um, it was uh, yeah, and it would it would radiate from my lower back down my right side to my knee and up to almost to my shoulder blade 
Wow. So is that an ME pain or is that a separate issue causing pain? I, I, I think that's an ME pain. Um, I did, I did get rid of it. How'd you do that? Well, rest for a year. <laughs> rest for a year, uh, not do much of anything. I finally saw a really good a massage therapist that, and he finally, oh, acupuncture was the other thing I was using. Acupuncture was bringing down the pain, but it just wouldn't go away. And finally, I uh, found a really good masseuse. They got rid of the last vestiges of, of the pain. Wow, so that's a, that's a big symptom not to have to deal with when you've got all of these other symptoms. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So June 2018, you finally get the diagnosis. August, you uh, leave work and you went on disability? Yes. Yes, I, I went uh, on disability leave. The, um, with our organization um five six days after five six days you have to have to have a doctor's note which i obtained um and the doctor he you know he said you know wade's unable to work at this time and uh the employer is responsible for paying the short-term disability which goes from the five days out 22 weeks i believe it is and then the insurance company takes over from there on a long-term disability. Uh, the way it's supposed to work <laughs> is that, you know, they, I, I get a phone call from the insurer and they say, okay, we've got your claim here. Uh, somebody will be contacting you. And, and that was, that was on a Friday or something like that. And by, I think it was Thursday, the, the following week, I still hadn't heard anything. So, so this thought, is after you've already done the 22-week period where you're... No, no, no. no. This is, this is uh, within a week. Oh, okay. Because the insurer manages the 22-week period as well, but they don't pay for it. It's mm. kind of like a copay, mm -hmm. right? So the employer does the copay for 22 weeks, and then the insurer takes over from there. They just manage the claim right from the start. Uh, so they got back to you about a week later? Yeah, like a week later, I, I sent the claims, my claims manager, some information that was requested. And then I waited, <laughs> waited and uh, never heard back from her. And uh, finally, um, August 14th, um, till September the 6th, I didn't have any contact with my claims manager at all. They, they just didn't respond to anything. Anything I sent them, any emails, phone calls, nothing. The, and the way it's supposed to work is that once I send in the claim, medical documentation and things that have to go along with it and, and whatnot. And so my doctor wrote in there and sent everything off to the the in, the claims manager then it was waiting like i don't know if i 
I, I know I'm getting paid for the first five days, <laughs> you know, but anything after that, I don't know. You know, so it's, it's in this claims process. On the information sheet that comes out with the outlining the claims process and who does what, the thing that is in there, it says that the claims manager contacts the doctors if they need further information. My claims manager never, because I got the, a copy of the file, my claims manager never once contacted any of my medical caregivers. Not once. She didn't co contact my previous doctor, didn't contact my current doctor, didn't co contact um, a, uh, a therapist I was seeing at the time, didn't contact the internist, didn't co contact anybody. And I was just sitting there waiting. And so they're not uh, sending you disability payments? No. Okay. Nope. So then what happens? So, so then, because my claims manager was unresponsive, I finally went to her boss to try and get information. So from August 14th to October 10th, which is when the claims manager contacted me to say that the, the claim was denied. It was not supported. And you've just said that they didn't bother to even contact any of your doctors. Didn't contact anybody. So it sounds like it was a, sort of an automatic denial. Oh yeah, automatic. It was, it was interesting because one email I did receive from the claims manager, she, she was asking for more information. And when I contacted her, I, I said, well, what kind of information do you want? And she says, it's all there in the email. No, it just says you need more information. It doesn't say what you want, what you need. I'm happy to provide whatever you want. But she, she just brushed me off and said, it's, it's in the email. And the email had, was just very broad. We need more information. At that point, I was, I was really frustrated and stressed out because, of course, I now haven't been paid for two months. And... It doesn't look like I'm going to get paid, period. And you're really sick. And I'm sick. My health is actually deteriorating because all these, you know, going back and forth to the doctors and gathering all this information and going to treatments and just, I, I was exhausted. Well, then, I mean, it took, it took a while uh, for me to, to realize that uh, I, I wasn't going to be able to to fight this on my own. It was beyond my cognitive ability at the time and, and my physical ability too. I just, I couldn't do it. And so I started looking around for, um, for lawyers to help me out. And at the end of October, I had found a lawyer, you know, she'd, she'd looked at it. This was a labor lawyer. Um, so she was familiar with these types of cases and she looked at it and she goes, why did they deny you? She says, it makes no sense. And, but of course, I'm sitting there in front of her too, so she can see me, right? And uh, she goes, oh, this, this is a slam dunk. Okay, so then the, the lawyer, once the lawyer's involved, then I, you know, she wants information, right? She wants stuff from the doctor. She wants a copy of the insurance uh, policy, which was another sort of stumbling block because 
I requested that from the insurer, they essentially refused to give it to me. How can that be? How can you not get a copy of your own insurance? Exactly. I mean, I've been in the, the financial industry for, for what, 25 years or whatever it is, 26 years. And, and the client, the insured, always has the right to view the insurance policy, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. So, so then what I did is I went to my employer, asked for the, a copy of the policy, at the time, my human resources manager was fairly new to the organization, so didn't know all the ins and outs. Um, but he was in contact with, with those at head office, and, uh, and when I requested it through him, the copy of the insurance policy, they sent me back just a little, one small portion of the insurance policy, and that was it. And I said, well, you know, that's really not going to work. I need the entire policy. And I had to fight with our head office to, to, to get it out of them. I mean, I finally got it after weeks of phone calls and emails. And so I could give it to the, to the lawyer. And what actions did she take? Well, once she, she reviewed it, she, she said, well, yeah, okay, this is, this is easy. She says, let's just get this information together. We'll, we'll get the doctor to write up a response. Uh, we'll, you know, detail some testing and whatnot. And, uh, and she sent it off. And that was so maybe the end of December, somewhere in there. Then <laughs> this response that we prepared, the lawyer and the doctor and, and myself, we sent it off and they came back and in the new year and said, no, sorry, you're denied again. So now it's, it's sometime in January. My lawyer is very frustrated at this point and the bills are adding up. So no money, plus I've, I've spent by this point probably about $4,000 on legal fees. Finally, my lawyer said, well, let's just, let's get everything. Every piece, every medical test, every, your doctor's notes, everything from your previous doctors right up till now. First of all, I, I requested a copy from my previous doctor of all his notes and the tests and everything else. And then I got my, all the test results from the current doctors that had been working with me. Um, combined everything into a file and it ended up being a couple hundred pages plus my my doctor uh, wrote uh, another letter and did uh, it's a special like a position statement that cost me another thousand dollars <laughs> so finally we sent off this entire package you know like I say it's over 200 and some odd pages and sent it to them I think that was in February February 2019. Yes. Shipped everything off. I mean, I don't know how much it cost to ship the thing, but it was, <laughs> it was a lot of money. Um, so we ship it off to, their, to the insurer and don't really hear anything. 
Yeah, right at the end of June, just before the Canada Day long weekend, I finally get a response. My claim has been approved. Wow. And it took them to the end of June. That's like four or five months to let you know. Yeah. Okay, so that must have been a huge relief. That was a huge relief. The insurer paid their part. So it's going back to when they took over for long-term disability. So they paid, paid me out for that. My employer for the 22 weeks that they owed me, it took till the end of August to have that paid out. Wow, so a little bit of frustration with them. Still, yeah. And then in the meantime, of course, once the claim was approved, then the insurer wanted me to do a, a functional assessment, I think it's called. Okay. Functional ability is, I, I, I'm not sure the, the correct name for that, but I went to uh, an occupational therapist here in, in Victoria spent a little better than a day and a half with them doing all these tests and wow i did i did super bad on some of them one of them is they do some real life tests right and one of them was just getting me to balance a ledger i mean easy peasy stuff i could not do it I absolutely could not do it. I, I exceeded the allotted time, and even then, I I couldn't get the right answer. Kept making mistakes over and over again, and and I exceeded the time limit, and finally, I I just gave up. I just I just couldn't do it. Another one was there were interruptions, so my task was to circle all the let's say gas stations on this map but there are interruptions and those interruptions draw your attention away so you gotta and you gotta count however many times you hear this tone so i mean i couldn't i couldn't continue circling on the map and count the tones at the same time i would have to stop I would either have to stop circling on the map, count the tones, or continue circling on the map and just not be able to count the number of tones. So they're doing these uh, cognitive assessments, which, which you're not doing very well on. No. Uh, the occupational therapist also doing physical assessment? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we did, you know, lift tests. We did uh, grip strength, uh, balance tests an out and around in the community kind of test, which again, I failed. That's walking around? Yeah, walking around. I had a task to do. I had to go to this, a superstore kind of place uh, with everything. And I had to buy, I don't know, three or four items, maybe half a dozen, I can't remember. And I, can't, I couldn't go over the limit. I had a budget. I had to find, so I had to find these things in the store, not go over my budget, and I had to follow a certain order. I mean, there were lots of conditions on the, on what I could and could not do. Well, yeah, I failed that one too. So uh, we should add at this point that the hallmark feature of ME, which is unique 
well, pretty much unique to ME is what's called post-exertional malaise. So any sort of physical activity, walking up a couple of flights of stairs, carrying groceries, makes you makes a person with ME feel sicker hours or even a day or two later. So there's this delayed reaction to the exertion. That's Did right. the occupational so, therapist, were they aware of this symptom? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, they, they knew I had ME. I told them that it was, you know, I would be tired after any kind of mental or physical exertion, like maybe a day or so later. Um, and then I, you know, depending on how much energy I used would determine how long it would take me to recover. So I had the tests on all day Tuesday and half day Wednesday. The occupational therapist knew that I would be tired and she called me on, on the Friday to see how I was doing. And I, I said, well, I'm completely exhausted. I, you know, I'm not doing anything. I, I'm too tired. Uh, sort of paint a picture for people who are not familiar with uh, the exhaustion that comes with ME from exertion. What does that, what can you do when you're sick like that? Open my eyelids. <laughs> so you, you spend know, a lot of time in bed, horizontal. A lot of time in, lot of time in bed. Uh, getting up is, is getting up to go to the bathroom or, you know, somebody knocks on the door or that sort of thing. And after a while, it's just too much to be lying in, for me at least, to be lying in bed for hours and days. And, and so I, I get out of bed and go to the couch and lie down. I was like that until the following week. It took me about five or five or six days to recover, to get some sort of energy back. And then what was the OT's report? I can't really recall. They did, you know, say that I had some, some issues with certain areas, um, moderate to severe. That was it. And what was their recommendation for treatment? I didn't see the recommendation for treatment. So the occupational therapist said, asked me if I wanted a copy of the report. I said, yes. And the OT, uh, she asked, she said I should get it from my insurer. And I said, well, you know, I was, I didn't hold out. I wasn't too optimistic at that point. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll ask. So I did. And I asked and nothing ever came, nothing ever came. So I asked the OT cause she said, well, she would send it to me if, if the insurance insurer doesn't. I wait and I wait and I wait. Finally, it's July or late July or early August, and I've got a, a rehab manager now in the mix too, not just the claims manager, but a rehab manager. And he wants me to do some occupational therapy. I went, well, sure, what do you, what do you got? I'm, you know, I'll try anything says, okay, well, so we'll hook you back with the same occupational therapist, and which was, was my preference because I, I knew where it was already. I didn't want to have to 
search down a new place and new people and everything else. So, so that was agreed to. Finally, in September, I got in to see the occupational therapist and explained things, how, what myalgic encephalomyelitis was and how it worked. And, and they wanted me to be on a graduated exercise therapy. And I, you know, I said, well, you know, I'll try it. But I, I said, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. So the um, idea with graded exercise therapy is you increase the amount of exercise you do by small increments, either daily or weekly correct. or something. Um, and people, patients in the ME community know that because exertion is what makes us sick, that trying to increase how much exertion you can do is only going to make you sick. Yeah. And, and for me, I like physical exercise. So, you know, it was, I thought, well, it's worth a try. Not only were we doing physical exercise, but we were doing mental exercise as well. So uh, the OT originally had me, you know, doing an, yeah, an hour of, of physical exercise plus a, a meeting with the, with the trainer to do some, you know, some light weight lifting and stuff like that. Uh, and then I also had an hour, this is an hour per week. So one hour of physical plus the training in the, in the gym there and one hour of cognitive exercise. Sorry, so one hour each of those per week or per, week. per day? Per week. Okay. So that gets added to any other medical appointments I have or things I have to do, right? Showering. Yeah, well, that doesn't happen much anymore. <laughs> um, too but, much effort. Yeah, way too much for very little return, especially when you're not leaving the house. Uh, but anyhow, so so just that, you know, those extra couple of hours per week was enough to push me over the edge. And I didn't even, I, I think we had something like six, six weeks and I didn't even make it the six weeks before I finally said, I, I cannot do this anymore. I am absolutely exhausted. I, I can't think straight. I'm spending 12 hours in bed. I can't do it. So you're more sick and more disabled than before you started the therapy. Exactly. How, what, was, how, what was her response? She said, uh, okay, well, um, I'll send in my report. She says, but I don't, it's, it's the claim manager that makes the determination on what's going to happen. And she says, you know, they could decline your continuing benefits. Uh, she's, and she also said that, you know, if you, if you get something from your doctor, that will be helpful to send in as well. So off to the doctor again, get him to write a, a, a doctor's note. He was quite terse with the insurance company in his response, um, explaining that this is not helpful, that I, I was disabled and I was likely going to remain disabled. So 
that goes into the insurance company. And of course they, again, I wait to hear back to see what's, what's going on. And the, the um, rehab manager, he says, you know, I really like you to try this again. He says, you know, we should really try this again. And he was really pushing to try some more occupational therapy. And I'm like, I said, okay, finally, I said, okay, but if we're going to do this again, I said, we have to scale it way, way back. And he went, okay. So then I went back, this is, I guess, November now, and I'm back at the uh, occupational therapists and we're no longer doing the cognitive exercise during the week. We're still having, I'm still having one meeting with the occupational therapist and mainly she was giving me tips and actually there were a lot of good tips on pacing myself for day-to-day -day activities, you know, getting stuff done around the house, doing things in 10 minute increments per day. That's it. You know, where if I've got dishes to do, if it takes longer than 10 minutes, you just leave what's ever left and then go lie down. So she was good with, with things like that. Training in the gym, I had sent them some information uh, from uh, Dr. Myhill in the UK talking about the proper way to exercise for ME patients, which is a very, very slow repetition. And I gave them information about that. And so that's what we started, lighter weights, very, very slow, nothing too much. So I had probably eight or 10 exercises I would do. Really didn't take more than 20 minutes at a time with the therapist. You know, like I say, very light weights, one set of each exercise. And the exercises may have had six repetitions. Compared to what I used to do, this is like even lower than baby steps. By the end of December, I, I, I just, I said to the OT again, I said, this is, this is too much. I can't, I can't do it. And, and by then the OT was coming to my house rather than me going to see her. That was good too. Right. To save that energy of you having to go to and fro, because that's, that's a lot of energy. It is a lot of energy. It takes a lot of cognitive energy to drive to and fro and attention and uh, yeah. That was really good. And I think from that, she really saw that, that I was struggling, really struggling. And so what happened with the insurance folks? Well, okay. So that was, that was the end of December. And here we are just about the end of January. I haven't heard anything from the insurance folks. So it's, it's sort of, par for the course they you know it'll maybe i'll hear something next month maybe it'll be a month after that i don't know so they the insurance subjected you twice to treatment that yes. pretty much everybody in the me community knows is contraindicated it's gonna make you sicker and lo and behold it made you sicker it did yeah yeah, it took me from, well, I, I'm not even back to, to the baseline I had last June before 
all the treatment started. <laughs> you know, the, the testing and treatment started uh, with the insurance company, the occupational therapy. Uh, I was feeling, I was actually starting to feel not too bad. And I, I, I was doing pretty good with my pacing. I developed a, a routine that, that worked. But now I'm, I'm, I'm worse off. I haven't since December. I, I haven't even had a good day yet. Wow. So what's a, for people who've not, not had ME or have not had a loved one with ME, uh, what's, what's your experience of it? Oh, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's so frustrating for me. I don't, I don't even have cable TV uh, because I would rather be out doing sports than watching sports. You know, it, it's things like that. And I, I see people out my window and they're cycling and they're walking even and running. And I just, you know, that, that is frustrates me. It frustrates, frustrates me that I can't, understand the continuing education courses I should be taking for my for my licensing uh, I just I can't do it, it, it uh, I might as well be reading a foreign foreign language because it just it doesn't stick I, I just can't understand it really so there's the uh, deep uh, fatigue, which is really debilitating. You spend a lot of your time horizontal. There's the yes. cognitive uh, impairment, so you're not able to do cognitive things. Do you also suffer from nausea? Um, I do, but what I what I found that really works for me, anyhow, is CBD oil. I I take that every day. Yeah, so the nausea, the pain. I mean, there, there's, I don't have a day without pain. Oh, so when you got rid of the lower back pain. Oh, yeah, I, I guess I have other pains. doesn't uh, matter. Oh, yeah, that was the most severe, which I was thrilled to, to not have it waking me up in the middle of the night. Yeah, I mean, other pains, my, from joint pain, muscle pain, mis like just mysterious pains that, that feel like somebody's giving me an electric shock or poking me with a needle, headaches, oh my God, headaches. I, when I was doing the occupational therapy last, I think it was in November, I had a headache that lasted for 10 days straight. I mean, I've always, you know, had headaches that came and went, which is fine but to have it last for 10 days i was just about at my wits end by the time that disappeared and then it's it's the sensitivity to temperature and my body's response to activity i can work up a sweat folding clothes uh, so just that minor activity uh, my body is thinking like it's a it's a major exertion and i need to cool down so i start to sweat yeah, I go from being hot to being cold. Wow, so that whole uh, thermoregulation is all uh, out of whack. Your whole yeah, body's out of whack. It is. I, you know, I think the thermoregulation 
for me anyhow, seems to be better in the summertime than in the winter, but so how was your family during all of this, during all of the period where you were feeling sick but hadn't got a diagnosis? And then how were they after you got the diagnosis? Before the diagnosis, I think they just thought I was tired. So they know? believed you? Yeah. They thought I was tired and, you know, they just thought, well, you know, he's tired. He works hard. He's active. You know, he's tired. Uh, they didn't, they didn't, I don't think they really understood the depth of the fatigue, even though I would, I have a fitness things on my wrist. So it records all kinds of stuff, heart rate and activity and, uh, and things like that. I could show them how much time I was sleeping. The amount of time I required to be in bed just continued to go up and up and up and up and up this past month has been probably as bad or worse than it's ever been and i was averaging at least 12 hours a day in bed and probably 10 to 12 hours of those would be i would be asleep so as your health and ability declined, I'm assuming your family had to start picking up the slack. Uh, no, because I live on my own. Oh. I have my, my immediate family is just my siblings, and the closest one lives, yeah, 45 minutes away, I guess. Oh, so you don't have caregivers? No, not at all. So you're forced to do make your own meals, all of the things to keep yourself alive. Exactly. In terms of things like that, stuff that I would normally do, you know, like normal people, you know, cleaning the windows and vacuuming, uh, washing floors, um, keeping the yard tidy. I just have to ration those things, doing laundry everything i you know if i if i don't have the energy i just i can't do them yeah it, you'll just make yourself sicker if you try yeah and so you know so then things pile up <laughs> uh finally one solution i i did get for myself was i got one of those robotic robotic vacuums it's one thing and it may sound you know trivial but it's just one thing I can cross off the list and it keeps the house cleaner. So is that one of those things that just sort of runs around on its own? Yep. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's been, that's been wonderful. I, I, I was really pleased to have that extra help. It almost also sounds entertaining. Well, it is kind of. I, I, I wish I had a cat because I'm sure the cat would sit on top of it and ride it around. <laughs> uh, you found that CBD helped with your nausea. Have you found yes. anything else that helps with some of your symptoms? Yeah, the, the doctor has, has um, provided me with a, a few things. Uh, one is... Uh, low-dose naltrexone. How does that help you? That helps with the pain, mm. mainly. I didn't, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. I, 
I try not to pay attention to the pain, so I, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't know whether the low dose naltrexone was working or not. And I missed a couple of days because I was too tired or just forgot or whatever. Uh, and I won't be doing that again because the pain, I mean, it was, it was a noticeable difference wow. in, in the pain. So I, I take that. I take, I take duloxetine. That's mainly for, uh, I guess, for depression. Yeah. I think it's one of the standard things that they, they. Were you taking that before 2018, before you went on disability? No, that I, I well, I have had, um, depression in the past but i uh, i haven't been depressed for 20 years oh yeah a long time 15 years something like that one of the other things uh, i tried was amitriptyline yeah i've heard of that but it it really left me even more foggy so the the side effect of it was just it was i, I was like a, a zombie and so we we stopped that chronic complex diseases website. Yeah. They have here in BC, they have a list of medications that they recommend. And this one was on the list. I can't uh, try to remember, but anyhow, what it does is it, well, it does a couple of things for me. Anyhow, it dilates the blood vessels. So I don't, have that the postural orthostatic static tachycardia yeah. yeah is it a mestonin mestonin no um that's not recommended on their list it would that was one of the ones i asked about but my doctor said well we can't he he couldn't prescribe that one off label he wouldn't could yeah, yeah off label he wouldn't uh so there was another one and i Wish I had the name here, but uh, I'd, I could have. I'd have to look it up. It was uh, pro no prazosin. Oh, I have trouble with this. It says from the, the complex chronic diseases program. It says it's a type of blood pressure medication that can be used uh, for nightmares, sleep disruption, and night sweats. So for me, the main thing was the the blood pressure and the night sweats. I had, I had a horrible night sweats. Yeah. And for anybody who's had those, they know how inconvenient it is to wake up in the middle of the night, drenched in sweat, having to change your bed clothes and all of that stuff. And just not having the energy to, to even do that sort of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had uh, any night sweats since I, I've been taking that, which is saves you know, it saves me having to do the laundry every night sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Any small improvement we can get feels like a lot when you're really sick. Yeah. 5% when you're working at 90%, it doesn't really notice much. But no. when you're working at 10% and you get a 5% bump, that's huge. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a big boost for sure. Yeah. So... I'm worried about what your insurance company is going to do. What happens if they come back to you and say, Wade, I've got to do this uh, graded exercise therapy again? Well, if they do come back with that, I'm going to suggest to them that I will try to seek uh, legal action 
and have them charged with um, aggravated assault. So a criminal offense. Yeah. Right. We'll see what their reaction is to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you and, could probably get some media attention with that too. I would think, yeah. So we've been chatting for a bit over an hour now. How is this going to impact you? You've been sitting up for an hour, cognitively focused for over an hour. Yeah, I can, I can feel my, it's, it's so interesting because I can, I can feel my body start to slump as the energy drains out. My, my arms feel heavy. My legs feel heavy. Yeah, my head feels heavy. It just, you know, I just feel like I need to be horizontal. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that feeling. So, Wade, thank you. I'll let you go do that. Thank you for sharing your story. You're the first person that I've had with this particular angle of medical error, where it's the insurer who is has a misunderstanding of what ME is and therefore they're causing you medical harm. So thanks for sharing that and keep me updated on what happens in the future and we can maybe do an update or something. I most certainly will. Well, for Wade's sake, I hope his insurance company lets the sick man be. But Wade is not alone in this experience. Many others with ME are too scared to speak out about being forced to undergo harmful exercise therapy for fear that their disability insurer will target them even more and cut off their disability support. Can you imagine how horribly stressful it would be to be so sick you can barely get out of bed for months at a time and then have your income cut off by a multi-billion dollar corporate entity? How do you buy food, pay rent? truly frightening. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. If you need the support of an experienced counselor around medical error or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.